Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who've just had a really interesting life. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. If you need inspiration for your career, this is the place for you. Thank you so much to everybody who's been listening and keeping in touch. I've been thinking a lot recently about collaborations and how to extend this podcast and the community I'd like to build around it. So if you do have any ideas, then please let me know. I personally hate random adverts on podcasts. It's one of my bugbears. So I'm thinking about alternative options and putting some feelers out. So do watch this space. Also, a quick shout out to Lou Lee, the founder of Blooming Founders in London, who put on a fantastic branding event that I went to last week. There were so many brilliant and inspirational women there, and I learned loads. It reminded me about the power of networking which leads me nicely onto today's episode, where we discuss this quite a bit. My guest today is Goli Kalkaran, entrepreneur, podcaster, and advocate of quitting your professional life if it's leaving you unfulfilled and unhappy. Goli herself was the quote-unquote perfect student, a successful corporate lawyer and subsequently a public defender in the US, representing those who could not afford legal representation. She always wanted, she said, to help others, but eventually made the huge decision to leave the law behind her and forge a new path. This is a scary option, and as you'll hear, we talked a lot about making that decision and how she then established her new business. Well, thank you, Goli, so much for joining me today. I'm really honoured to have you on the podcast, and I'm so excited to chat. Thank Um, you for having me. I'm excited to be here. um, Do you want to just start off by telling everyone a little about you, where you're from, where you grew up, and what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were little? Sure. So I, my name is Goli. I live in California um, with my husband and two young children. I grew up here. I'm actually Iranian-American. Um, I was born in Iran and moved here when I was a couple of years old. And so I've grown up in California um, for the rest of my life, you know, since I was about four. And what's interesting is that I, from my earliest, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, when people asked me when I was like five or six, but from around 10 years old, I had just like got it in my head that I wanted to be a lawyer, which I don't, I honestly... I've thought back, I think my grandfather was a lawyer, like a very high um, profile lawyer in Iran and maybe stories about him got that in my head. Um, But yeah, I was one of those kids that kind of got that goal in mind and I put the blinders on and I never wavered and I really focused on that the rest of my life. And I um, got good grades and I went through school and, you know, I never really questioned where that came from or if I really wanted it until I actually became a lawyer. (laughs) So your parents weren't lawyers, but they were obviously encouraging of your dream to pursue the law, were they? Yeah, exactly. My parents know, both my parents are accountants and, um, but my mom always had this dream because of her father who was a lawyer. Like she always wanted to be one. So I think she was you know, more than encouraging, like she really wanted me to be a lawyer. And so, um, yeah, they were always very encouraging of that dream. So I um, went to college and then I took actually one year off and I traveled and then I went to law school 
and then, yeah, I, I, um, you know, even law school, which a lot of people don't like, I loved and I really thought I'd found my calling and I, um, graduated and I went to a big law firm, which I knew wasn't going to be right for me. I had really just went because, um, I had so many loans and, you know, in the U S like school is insanely expensive. And so I thought, you know, I'll pay my dues. I'll work for a couple of years in these big law firms. I'll make a lot of money and I'll pay back these loans. So then, then I can do what I'd always really wanted to do, which was work for kind of underserved communities and either work as a government lawyer or, you know, in some kind of nonprofit charity work and, and, uh, serve a community that I felt really passionate about. Mm. I always find it amazing how much debt people come out of college with in America. Like it just doesn't really come onto the radar that, I mean, we pay for university here, but not in the way that you guys do. And I just find it staggering the amount of money that you owe. <laughs> it is absurd. And it's, I mean, it's coming to a head. I feel like, you know, everyone talks about this bubble is going to burst kind of all these student loans because it really becomes crushing debt and it informs the rest of your life. You're a lot of people are burdened by it for 20, 30, 40 years. And that really just makes pigeonholes you in, in what you can do. It doesn't really give you a lot of room to experiment or to try different things or to take a risk. And it really has ruined a lot of people's lives. And I think at the time, I think one of the smartest decisions I made was to go work at that big law firm and hoard all my money and pay back my loan. So I didn't have that debt. Um, but yeah, it's a really awful, awful system here. Mm. But it really limits your capacity to do what you really want to do in the sense that you yeah. you are so burdened by debt that, you know, you've taken a job that you, by all accounts, didn't really want yeah. in order to deal with that and get rid of it, which is amazing and really creditable. But actually, if people want to take a job that will fulfill them and give them enjoyment, but perhaps doesn't pay huge amounts of money. That kind of hanging over you just, like you say, is that kind of crushing burden that people have mm -hmm. to carry with them, which I I just find very difficult to comprehend for people when you're <laughs> 22, 23. Right. You know, it's a young age. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's really, I mean, that's what a lot of people are, that's why there's sort of this change in the culture and a lot of people are now kind of, um, there's a backlash against higher education in the U.S. because there's so many opportunities online. And a lot of people are realizing that, like, that they were sort of, you know, I mean, for lack of a better word, swindled because you don't, I don't know, maybe there wasn't enough financial literacy taught, but a lot of us didn't realize what that debt means. It's sold to you as like, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to get a job and you can pay this off. And like exactly what you said, What what's funny is on my podcast, I have a lot of ex-lawyers and every one of them comes on and says like, oh, I went to law school to do X, to do Y, you know, and it's very like noble things. I wanted to be a human rights attorney. I wanted to do all these amazing things. But then when you get out, you realize you can't do those things because they don't pay and you have to pay, you know, they'll start collecting your loans and you got to make that payment every month. And so everybody ends up becoming these corporate lawyers that they don't want to be and ends up miserable because they didn't take into account that, that those loans are really going to limit what you're able to do. Mm. And actually, like you say, it's impacting on your life with your capacity to get a mortgage or get finance yeah. for a car or whatever it happens to be that you want to do later in life. Nothing about our system is No. Fair. Well, maybe one day it'll be changed. Yeah. <laughs> so after a couple of years in corporate law, what did you go on to do after that? 
Yeah. So, you know, for me, like I said, I went in knowing I wasn't going to like corporate law. So I wasn't surprised that I was unhappy in that role. Um, but what kind of the rude awakening for me happened was, you know, after two years, I left to go be a federal public defender, which in the U.S., I don't know if you guys are familiar kind of with the criminal justice system, but and how it is in the U.K., but um, here, every person that is charged with a crime is entitled to an attorney. And so there's a prosecutor that represents the state. And then you have a public defender if you can't afford your own attorney. So you can either, you know, pay a criminal defense attorney to represent you. Or if you can't afford one, then the government appoints a public defender. And so I, okay. So the same. So I became a federal public defender, which means I worked in the federal courts for federal crimes, that kind of stuff, um, instead of state. And so, yeah, I went and did that. And I, that was what I thought was going to be my dream job. Like that is what I had envisioned. That was like a, a cause I was very passionate about. I really saw the injustices in our criminal justice system and I really wanted to help. And it was when I got into that job and I still felt really unhappy and I really didn't like what I was doing that it was sort of this, I don't know, I don't. it wasn't like a moment. It was just this like, understanding that, wow, this really might not be for me. And I never had considered this, you know, in the last 20 years when I was working towards this goal. Mm. And what was it? Did you find it unfulfilling or stressful or, you know, what was it? Could you put your finger on that you didn't like, I guess? All of the above. I mean, um, the, what I thought it would be versus what it was, was drastically different. And, so there's a couple of things. One, the law is a um, very grueling profession. It's very long hours. It's not very conducive with having like a family life. And so, um, you know, working 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week is very common. So that was part of it. The other part was just the day-to-day of what I was doing. I am like a very outgoing person. I thought it would be a lot of like client interactions and working with people. And it just became the majority of my time was, you know, sit in an office writing these large motions. So it was just me sitting for like 12 hours, you know, writing the same thing. Um, And it was a very small portion of it was actually like client facing or interacting with people. And then even that was very emotional and very stressful and very sad. And you started realizing like, you're not going to really make a difference in the system. You're just kind of a cog in the system and you're doing the same things. And it's, you're just seeing like the misery that there is every day. And, and so it was a lot of those things combined that I was like, I'm, you know, I just felt very unhappy. I'm really interested in this, um, discord between expectation and reality that seems to crop up quite a lot with professional people. And, you know, I I think, you know that I'm a veterinarian and like it's quite similar that people people's impression of what it's going to be like to be a vet is different to the reality and you know it's I as someone who only has the experience of the law from watching crime dramas (laughs) or you know Netflix or whatever um but it's funny how the perception of what your job is like is so different from the outside to what it's actually like on the inside isn't it oh yeah Totally. And it's funny you say that. Like, I literally can't watch any shows that are about lawyers because it's so ridiculous, like, how fake it is and so not what the reality – that it, like, makes me angry. So people are always like, oh, you, sh- you should watch this. And I was like, no, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> it's just <laughs> – 
<laughs> I'm pretty sure me. doctors feel the same about medical yeah, dramas, don't I'm they? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, sure. So did you have a kind of light bulb moment in the end, girlie, where you sort of said, that's it, I'm done? Or what was your kind of process, I suppose, coming towards the end of thinking that perhaps the road you've been traveling on was not the one you were going to continue? No, I actually didn't. And um, my, I think what a lot of people feel, what I'm finding out in my situation was even though I was miserable and even though I was unhappy, it never even occurred to me that like I should do something else. I had worked so hard to get there. I had spent so many years, so much of my identity was wrapped up with being a lawyer. And I felt like I was doing important work. And so there's like this guilt of leaving this community that can't leave, you know, they're in a situation where they need help. And so, so much of me was just committed that like, this is my life now. And, and there's this weird thing with lawyers, um, in America where like everybody's unhappy and you talk about it and it's, (laughs) and it's so funny. It's like now that I'm out of the law, I see how insane that is, but when you're in it, you don't I, – I can't even explain it. It's all you talk about. Like when I talked to my law school friends or my ex – you know, the people I worked at the firm, it was as if like – it was almost a badge of honor. Like you would complain about who works more, how awful your situation is compared to theirs. And it's just normal because, you know, it's like, oh, we've all found ourselves in this situation we hate and we just have to keep doing it because like that's – you know, we are quote-unquote successful and, you know, you wouldn't walk away from that. And so – I ended up staying, you know, I was a public defender for about four years. And what happened for me is I ended up having my son and another really horrible situation in America is maternity leave. So (laughs) So I working for the government, I literally worked for our government and I only got three months unpaid leave. That's horrendous. I had this conversation with a, uh, a trauma surgeon from the US about maternity leave and Oh my goodness! <laughs> like, that's I mean, it's so really bad un- over there. unbelievable. But um, unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So I um, three months unpaid going. Unpaid. That's horrendous. Yeah. It is horrendous. And for me, like, I we could make it work unpaid because, you know, I, my husband made enough that we were going to be fine. But I always think about the people that live paycheck to paycheck and like, what do they do? I mean, do they have to go back after? Like, a lot of them really have to go back after a month or something because they need that paycheck. They can't go unpaid for so long. It's a really horrible situation, which we could talk about for an entire podcast. But um, (laughs) suffice to say, like, that was a very, that was a turning point for me because I got some time off and then it just happened. It was very coincidental. It wasn't like something we had planned We were planning on moving back. I lived in another state. I lived in Arizona at the time, and we wanted to move back to California. And it just happened that it coincided with my maternity leave. And so we ended up moving during that time. And so that was what required me to quit my job. I think if I had stayed, I would have just gone back. But I had to quit and find something new in California. And so that was kind of the the beginning of a process for me of realizing like, hey, I really don't like this. And so when I came to California and I started looking for a job, um, God bless my husband, he was the one that started seeing like how unhappy I was looking like every job description I hated. And I would like tell him, I would complain about like how awful these jobs are. And he was like, well, why don't you, you know, try to do something else? And I remember like rolling my eyes and, you know, being like completely appalled at like, what does that, what do you mean something else? Like, I'm a lawyer. This is what I do, you know? And, but then it got me thinking, like it planted this seed in me that 
could I do something else? Like maybe I, and I, you know, it was a long process. Let's just say like from the beginning, I started thinking like maybe I could use my law degree to do something else. And I started looking at jobs like outside of law, but for lawyers. And that like just opened up the possibility of like, hey, could I leave to do something else? And he had said to me once, because um, I was, you know, talking about like, I was really scared about telling my family and what would people think? And, you know, how was I going to not be a lawyer? And he had said, you know, like, you know, insane you sound that like you're going to do something for the next 35 years that you hate just so you don't have to tell people that you're not a lawyer, you know? And, and when he put it in that way, I mean, it really made sense to me. And I was like, oh my God, like he's right. I'm going to do something just to, because I care so much about what other people think of me or because I'm so scared about, you know, what else I would do. But I know the thing that I'm doing now I don't like. So like whatever else I do can't be worse than this, you know? And so that just kind of got me on this journey of it. I mean, it took me about a year to really admit to myself, like, I'm going to walk away from this and I'm going to start over and I'm going to figure out because I had no idea what else I wanted to do. And I felt very lost, but I also felt like weirdly excited and like relieved that I didn't have to go back to doing something mm. I didn't like. But also when you've got your son and you're enjoying being a mother, going back to a job that you hate at that point. I mean, Absolutely. I don't have children yet, but I would imagine that that is, would be horrendously difficult. Yeah. And that's, that's what my husband, one of the things he was, when we were having a lot of these discussions, he was saying, and like I, cause I had mentioned, you know, how long the hours are. And he was saying like, you know, you are, you're already going to hate this job. And then now like, it's going to take you away from our Keon and like, you're going to get home when he's going to bed and you're going to be mad that you didn't get to see him. And then you have to wake up and go back and like, you're just going to be miserable and then you're going to make us miserable. And and he was right, you know, <laughs> and it was a hundred percent true. It's like, but you know, the calculus changes when you have a child and it, you start realizing a lot of the stuff that maybe you put up with or that you would do is different because you want to be around this little human that you brought into this world. And so you, you know, want to, you don't want to work those long hours or you don't, you want something different. And so you're absolutely right. Like having him was a huge part of me saying like, I just, I want, he's not going to be young for a long time and I don't want to miss this. Mm. And in that year, you were at at home in that time, presumably girly, were you? And how did you start kind of defining to yourself what else you might think about? Because one of the things I often come across um, with uh, certainly veterinary friends is that a bit like you were saying, I'm a lawyer, that's what I do. Right, like, right. I'm a vet, that's what I do. Defining what your skill set is to use in another field is something that I think a lot of professional people find incredibly difficult because we don't see ourselves as having transferable skills. Right. You see yourself as being a lawyer, a surgeon, a doctor, a vet, whatever it happens to be, and that you think, that's what I do. That's what I know how to do. I don't know how to do anything else. So how did you start thinking about using the skills that you'd gained in a different way? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, I don't know if I was even really thinking about my transferable skills because, you know, what I did as a lawyer, especially as a criminal defense lawyer, like I really felt like I didn't have a lot of transferable skills. I thought a lot of that stuff was really focused on the criminal justice system. And so, um, what I started doing, I mean, it was a little bit panicked. I think in, in hindsight, it sa sounds like so calm and glorious, but at the time it was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know? Um, and so I read like every book on <laughs> career transition and self-help. I started listening to tons of podcasts just to like 
get ideas. And it, and that really started shifting my mindset on like how I think about things. I started writing like all these lists of what are the things I actually like doing? Like, what are the things I want to do? What are stuff that I, you know, just things that I never, ever really sat and tried to peel back about like, who am I? You know, like I've been doing this path for so long that I never even considered like if I wasn't going to be a lawyer, what other things interest me? Um, and then one of the biggest things that I think for me really impacted me is I just started going to a lot of like networking events and meetup groups for things that had nothing to do with any, you know, with law. So I would just find meetup groups in Orange County that I thought were interesting. And I would allow myself like before, I think I would have stopped myself because it's like, I don't have anything in common with these people or like, why would I be there? But I just started going. And that was probably the biggest impact on my life is that it just opened me up to so many like different ideas of what people do. And, and like, I felt like for, you know, for a long time I have blinders on and I really only thought about traditional fields and I only thought about like, you know, what lawyers do or what doctors do, whatnot. And I started going to like a lot of creative meetups and graphic designers and what, and I started seeing like how much opportunity was on the internet and what kind of businesses people were setting up. And I started going to tech startup events and seeing like the tech industry and all these things that I never even thought I was interested in. And I think that really opened up my horizon a lot. Like there's so much opportunity out there. There's so many things I can do. Um, I don't need to limit myself to law or even like the skills that I got as a lawyer. Like if I don't want to sit and write, you know, maybe I want to try something else. Um, I started gaining the confidence that like I was smart enough to become a lawyer and, you know, get my stuff together and, and figure that whole thing out. Like I am surely smart enough to figure out something else. And actually like that's, that's great advice because I think networking is something that some people find really difficult. You know, you said you're, you're a real people person, you know, you've clearly got amazing communication skills, but I think there's some people who the idea of going to a meetup or a networking event by yourself is actually quite a, an awful prospect. <laughs> and I think, you know, being able to enjoy doing that kind of thing is a real gift that you have because it's not something that some people would feel that comfortable with. Well, let me let me just stop you really quickly and say that I didn't enjoy it in the beginning. And I still, I didn't, I, I used to hate networking events because I was used to the lawyerly networking events. And I am outgoing, but I still find it super awkward to go and try to talk to people um, that I don't know. And so it, it, I really had to push myself out of that comfort zone. But one of the things I will say is I realized that I was networking wrong the whole time. When I started going to events where one of the things I did that might help people is I would find networking events where there was going to be like a panel discussion because it would it took off the pressure of like going and having to talk the whole time. Like you were going to go listen to some people and there was a bunch of people in that room that were interested in that same topic and it you know, it, it allowed me to like, I wanted to go learn what that panel was talking about, but it also like, didn't make it as intimidating. And I just set a goal for myself that like, every time I go, I would talk to one person. It wasn't like, I'm going to have to go around and meet everybody and get all these cards. And in hindsight, I didn't do this for this reason, but it ended up being the most important thing I did because I really started developing relationships, which is what the point of networking actually is, is, you know, I went without an agenda. I wasn't going because I needed something from those people or I wanted to sell them something or I wanted to get a job or anything. I was really going and just being interested in what they were doing. 
and I would be really like self-deprecating and I would say like from the beginning, I'd be like, I have no business being here. I have no relation to this, you know, and like they would laugh or whatnot. And then like people love talking about themselves. So like I would just ask about them and they would go on and on about what they were doing. And those would spark ideas or I would meet one person that I would see, you know, repeatedly at these events and we would build a relationship. And down the line, those relationships have helped me immensely. And I realized like that is the power of networking is like really developing a network of people that you care about and that care about you and have like the same interest. And so that's the only thing I would say is I, I, I'm not trying to say I am outgoing. So I understand that like for somebody that is introverted, it could be a lot more difficult. But um, I have realized that that was like that kind of networking was pretty much the most important aspect of like me leaving the law and helping me figure out what I was going to do next. Which segues us nicely onto what did you do next? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a great question. I um totally random, but I was like once I had kind of gotten to these tech startup events, then I loved them. Like I started really just you just start thinking differently. You start seeing opportunities. It gives you ideas. And in that time, like my son had now, um, we were like coming up on his first birthday, like a couple months out. And I was planning his birthday and we were going to have like a really big party. And I wanted to create a photo booth. Well, I wanted to get a photo booth, but I didn't want to spend the money on renting one because they're so expensive. And it was mostly for, you know, weddings and things like that. And I was talking to my husband about making like a simple one from like an iPad where people can walk up and take the pictures and like take funny pictures. And then, and so I was looking all over and I couldn't find what I wanted. And, um, my husband is an engineer and I was talking to him about how like, it can't be that hard to do something like this. And he was, you know, I enlisted his help to help me build one. And we made like a super basic, you know, on a tripod with an iPad and we found some software that somebody had made that was kind of cool. And so we ended up making this like makeshift, uh, photo booth. And, you know, it was a hit and everyone loved it. And it just, because I was at those events and I was seeing all these other people start these businesses. And I had always told myself that like, I'm not into business and I don't know anything about business. And I was really trying to work on these like limiting beliefs I had. And I was starting to think like, maybe I could start a business. Like maybe I can prove to myself that I can do this. And so I just started down this road of seeing like, can I manufacture, can I create, you know, more of a product and who would I, you know, sell this to? And can I figure out marketing? And so that like really started me on building this business. And I created a company called Ussie Booth. It's U-S-I-E Booth. And it's basically, you know, a digital portable photo booth um, for events that we now like manufacture and sell and so lease. Cool. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's been a couple of years now. And like, you know, it was a steep learning curve. But I did it. And I think it gave me a lot of confidence to realize like I can figure these things out. And I figured out, you know, manufacturing and setting up a company and, and learning how to sell and deal with clients. And, and it's been a really fun experience. Mm. And are you still you're still working on that company now, like that's still going and you're still doing that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So I cool. work on that. And one of the cool things has been like, I can work on it on my own time. So I, you know, purposefully kept it kind of smaller because i only really want to work on it part-time because in the meantime I had um, another child and I really wanted to, to kind of have more time to be at home and so um, yeah I've just been working on it part-time and we kind of rent and lease in Southern California and we also sell them nationwide but yeah I've been kind of doing it on the side. 
That's amazing. That's so cool. And where do you get, are they manufactured in California as well? Or where do you, how many booths do you have and where do you get them from? This goes back to like all of these networking things is at these tech startup events. Like this is where I met like over, and this was like over a year. It just happened. I met like an industrial designer there who was just starting out. He was just graduating. So then he helped me design the prototype and I got like an incredible deal. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford an industrial designer. So we designed it together. And then I met these other two guys that were just starting up their um, manufacturing business and they were going to manufacture small runs of of products for people because manufacturing is so expensive. And for startups that are just starting out that like want to have a product to market, it's really expensive. Like you, you can't really go overseas. You don't have like the volume mm, to do course. tooling and yeah. do all this stuff. And so I just started with these guys and they, like I was one of their first products and they were like, yeah, we'll manufacture like runs of 25. So, you know, I, it obviously is a little bit more expensive than if I was to do it overseas and, and I could manufacture like hundreds at a time. But it, it was perfect for me because it gave me the ability to manufacture a small amount. And then if I need more, manufacture it again. And so that's sort of how, how it all started. That's such a powerful lesson in terms of um, building relationships with people yeah. who, you know, because like you say, when you start a new business, investment, you know, is key. And some companies are just not interested unless there's going to be thousands of units of stock or whatever it happens to be and actually having people on you in your corner who are going to make you a quality product on time and on budget that you've already met that you've got a relationship with is an incredibly powerful thing oh it was huge and otherwise I wouldn't have done it and what you were saying too about Silicon Valley and like investment also like a lot of times you can't get investment until you've sort of tested out your product and your market and made you know you have to be able to prove to investors that there is this is going to work and that people uh want it and a lot and a lot of times there's no way of doing that without actually making the product mm-hmm. and putting it out there and so a lot of you know I feel like um a lot of people see these big companies that have, you know, millions of dollars of investment and then they can start scaling. But that starts with like a, a prototype or a couple of, you know, uh, products that you can then put out into the world. And so it's just really cool to have these small, like these relationships where you can, it'll get you started. But yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't I agree with you more. I think I've just learned that value of having those relationships because it was also along the way, like I would meet these guys that were doing manufacturing. And when I was having another problem with something else that I didn't know, like they have contacts. So they would say like, oh, we know this person. You should talk to them. Like they do this part of the business that you need. Or And so each person opened up so many other doors for me that helped me get this business off the ground that I would not be able to do by myself, like sitting in front of my computer, just looking for people. And actually, I think, like you say, it's very easy to get online and look people up. But how do you know that you're going to like to work with these people that you can trust them, that they are going to deliver what you want. And I don't know about you, but I find this when you're employing a plumber or like somebody to fix your car or whatever it happens to be that when you don't know people and you don't know anything about the area you're going into, you're completely wide open. Yeah, You have to be able to trust the people that you're learning from, don't you? So Elsie Booth is still going. And now on top of that, you are running your own podcast and community Lessons from a Quitter. Do you want to just tell me a little bit about how that got started, Goalie, and uh, just tell everyone what you're aiming to do and what you're up to with that? Sure. So like I said, you know, when I was in law, I just noticed like how many people were miserable, but was just accepted. And then when I left, I started getting, you know, a lot of people every time I would talk about 
or like people would find out that I like left and I had started this random photo booth company, I would inevitably get like questions of, oh my God, how did you do it? I hate my job so much and I want to <laughs> leave. And, and it would just be at every party. And it was just interesting to me. And it was more than like, you know, with the lawyers, I wasn't a surprise, but I would start hearing like doctors and dentists and, you know, teachers and account and whoever. And it was like all these people were just sitting in jobs that they hated and felt like there was no way out. Like, this is it. They're just going to keep doing it. And I was in that same position, but it's funny when you're out of it, like you want to shake them and be like, well, do something else, you know, like (laughs) stop this insanity. And, um, so I started getting a lot of that and it it really planted a seed that like there needs to be this conversation of like, how do we get out of this stuckness and figure out, you know, what our next step is and figure out how to reinvent yourself. And, um, in that time, I mean, like I said, I was listening to so many podcasts and they were helping me so much in shifting my mentality and thinking about things differently and seeing different opportunities. And I just realized like, Every podcast I listened to, though, there wasn't one that like felt, you know, that I uh, that I felt like I fully identified with. Like some were, you know, about entrepreneurship, and I didn't really feel like a real entrepreneur. I felt like I kind of stumbled into this. You're totally a real entrepreneur, by the way. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. But I felt like I was, you know, you'd hear these stories, and people are like, "Oh, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a child, and I'm just a horrible employee. I can't have a boss." And I'm like, "Well, that wasn't me, you know." And so, anyways, I just wanted to like create a space for people that. Uh, and highlight stories of people that were in these same positions that were stuck, that had climbed the corporate ladder, that had spent years and years getting degrees and spending all this money and just found themselves unhappy and had the courage to say, like, I'm not, you know, I, I get one shot at this life and I'm going to find something else that makes me happy. And so that's why I created Lessons from a Quitter. And we, you know, I interview someone every week that has made these like huge jumps and have forged a new path. And, um, we're creating a community for people that do feel stuck that really want to get out, but don't know what the next steps are and kind of just helping people find these lives that they want to live as opposed to stuff that they just feel like they made a decision and now they have to do it for the next 30 Mm. years. And what have you learned really, do you think the most since you started the podcast and, you know, quit yourself? Like, have you, have you, what's your kind of insights that you've gained mostly from that girly? Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing that I'm seeing for myself from every interview I've ever done is like, nobody is ready. Nobody is ready when they quit. No, there's never a time if you're waiting for like a perfect moment when everything is going to be aligned and you're going to have this opportunity show up and then you're going to make this safe transition and everything is going to be great. Like you'll wait for the rest of your life and you'll never make the jump. And so there, you need a leap of faith. You need to do it when you're scared. You need to do it anyways and say like, okay, I'm terrified. This isn't in my comfort zone, but it's going to be worth it. And have like, like I said, faith in yourself that you will figure it out. And I've noticed that with everyone is like, they just took the step, even though they were scared, not like that they weren't scared. It's just that, I don't know, staying in that position was just untenable anymore. And so they decided to make the leap with all the risks, with all the fear that we've been programmed with. And I'd say the second thing is, that fear is so blown out of proportion. Mm -hmm. It's so insane how scared we've been like made to feel if you kind of step outside the status quo. And once you do it and you realize I'm not going to die, like nothing, you know, worst case scenario, I go back and get another job. It's so liberating because you start feeling like 
I mean, now I feel like there's a million things I want to do. And I, I talk to people and I see them in this level of stuckness. And I, the, I realize like the fear is so overblown that like, I don't know, you think like you're going to end up homeless, you know, under a bridge and you're not like you will make it work. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would say those are the two biggest things that I'm learning. Mm. And I always think it's really interesting for people to learn from failures and mistakes that you've made in your career. Um, I have certainly made loads. Um, (laughs) Is there anything that has particularly stuck out to you about something you've really learned from, from a failure that has kind of springboarded you on? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that again, like when you start making these changes, like before I used to hear people talk about like, oh, I don't, I don't believe in failure. It's just a learning experience. And I would roll my eyes because I think when you come in a traditional field, it's, it's not presented that way. Like, you know, when you lost a case there, there's no like, oh, this was a great try. Like the client's upset. Like you, you, you look at it as a failure, but again, it's just a perspective shift. So I feel like one of the things that I've really learned is that there, not that there is no failure, but like I'm realizing for myself that you're never going to be, you know, a lot of us look at that vision of what we want. Like we see someone where we want to basically be maybe 10 steps ahead. And it's like, you're not going to jump from where you are to that 10 steps. Like you have to go through those 10 steps. And each of those failures is what is going to take you to the next step. And I look at that now, like with my business and the millions of mistakes I've made is that there's no way I would have gotten to where I have without making those mistakes and learning and figuring out what the next step is. And now with the next thing that I do or with the podcast, like with each mistake or failure, I learn like what not to do next time. And it makes me better. And the next business I start, let's say like, I'm going to be that much better because I have that experience. And so, um, I think the biggest thing that I've just learned is like, stop trying to avoid these failures, like go through it, figure it out, see what you learn from it and move on. But we just hold on. Like we're so embarrassed of like what people will think or what, what it says about us, or we beat ourselves up that we try to avoid failures. And it's like, yeah, you can avoid failure by staying completely in your comfort zone and never trying anything and never making any progress. But like, what's the point of that? Oh God, I couldn't, I literally could not agree with you more. (laughs) It's very liberating to do something different and, and make a success of yourself doing something different you know despite the criticism that that may garner you from other people in the initial phase I kind of feel like often it's the people who've struck out a little bit and they end up having the last laugh <laughs> so oh absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah definitely definitely and um I always just throw the floor open to guests at the end goalie just to say is there anything else kind of pertinent that you wanted to discuss about women in the law or like women in careers in general or anything else I just think that one of the biggest things that I'm learning and I really want women in general to understand is like there is obviously a lot of societal pressure on what we should do, what we shouldn't do, whether that comes to children or your career, you know, and there's a million different voices that are put on us, the type of mothers we should be and the type of career women and how we should, you know, be in every boardroom and we should climb that corporate ladder and we should, you know, and I think that we, we, should have every opportunity that we want. But I also am just learning the power of really learning to like quiet outside noise and really figure out what it is you want for your own life, you know, and not be beholden to what other people think you should be doing or what, you know, if, if there's a, if you want to be a certain type of mother or a certain type of businesswoman or a certain type or whatever it is, like you get to decide that, but you have to be willing to, 
be okay with other people not understanding or not accepting. And, you know, it sounds, I know it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason Hmm. because it's true. Like you say it so much that it's cliche, but like you only get this one life, you get one shot at this. And like they say, you know, all these studies, like the number one regret of people in retirement homes is that they didn't live life on their own terms. They lived it for other people. And it's like, we hear this and yet we still do it. So I just would say like, really take as much time as you can to get quiet and figure out like, am I doing this because other people think I should be doing it because my mother-in-law thinks this or my husband thinks that or my boss thinks this and like figure out what it is you truly want, like what will make your life happy and do that. I love this insight and all the other wisdom that Goli has to offer on life and careers. She's a great entrepreneur and I have no doubt that her future endeavors will be a success. If you'd like to listen to Goalie's podcast for more of this, her website is lessonsfromaquitter.com and you can find all at the episodes there. Her Instagram is also pretty great. That's at lessonsfromaquitter. That's it for today. But as ever, if you've got any comments, suggestions or feedback, drop me a line. I love to hear from you. Please subscribe if you haven't already and feel free to leave a nice review on your favorite podcast site as it helps others to find us. But more importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing the Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next time.